Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. Okay, those of you who have Bibles here, please open them, even if it's on your smartphone, and open it to the book of Jude. The short little book of Jude in the New Testament is just before Revelations, if you were wondering. <laughs> uh, just one chapter. And... Uh, You know, um, everyone sort of has a sense of the importance of identity. Not only having an identity, but actually, actually understanding that identity, having a sense of identity, having a sense of who you are, and, and um, uh, Sort of having security in that. Even, even um, you know, many people who are not Christians understand that. Uh, I, I remember, um, you know, one of the, one of the things that, that many orphans say to you, um, people, people or people who are given up for adoption, people who don't know their parents, is there's this, this sense of not knowing who you are, of not having a... F- full understanding of who you are. And it's interesting, um, and that's a connection I want to make tonight, that we understand that who you are is important and having a sense of who you are is important. That gives you sort of a, a steadiness and an authority to live life. But we, we, we sometimes fail to make the connection between who you are and whose you are. Because who you are is dependent on whose you are. And so often we, we, we try and discover a sense of identity so that we can live with that boldness and identity that, 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 uh, of knowing who we are. But our search for identity is sometimes too self-focused because you, you cannot f- truly find out who you are by only focusing on yourself. And, and that's such a mistake. People go and say, I'm going to go and tour the world and find myself. <laughs> and even though I understand the, the desire and the need that people have for that, it's, it's um, amazing how often that fails. Because it doesn't take this thing into consideration. Who you are depends on whose you are. In a very real sense, you cannot find yourself, according to Scripture, you must be found by someone else. And specifically, um, according to Scripture, you, you need to be, we all need to be found by God. So I just want to, I want to do, a, in a sense, a bit of a Bible study this, this evening. Okay? So that's why I'm saying open up your Bibles to Jude. And I want to do a little Bible study with you on Jude verse 1 and 2. Okay, so I'm going to read it. And then I'm going to ask you guys to actually turn to one another. Read it with me. It's going to be up on the screen. If you have a Bible here and you have a pencil and you... You know, maybe read it again once or so and underline it or circle some words that stand out or, or make some connections, draw some arrows, whatever you do when you do Bible study. Um, and then I'm going to ask, I'm just going to give you a minute to, once I've read it, to read it again at least once or twice. And I'm going to ask you to turn to someone next to you and just discuss with them, also in a, in a, in a couple of minutes, what you see in the Scripture, what, uh, what the Lord shows you in the Scripture. So Jude verse 1 and 2, it's just Jude's... Um, Salutation, basically. So, 
who, who wrote the letter, to whom it was written, and, and the blessing. So he says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God or, or beloved by God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So, okay, I just wanted you to take a minute or two and just read through it again at least once. And I want you to turn to someone next to you and just quickly discuss it and, and tell them what you see in that scripture, what the Lord highlights to you from that scripture. I'm, I, I never cease to be amazed at how rich scripture is and how much there is in scripture. And I think um, whenever I study scripture, there's always more there than I realize. Um, and And... You know, I always think of, of a um, saying that, uh, you know, John Piper says. He says, when you, when you do Bible study, you can either rake for leaves or you can dig for gold. Digging for gold is harder work, but what you get in the end is also more precious. Okay? Um, so there are, there are leaves on the surface, and you can rake for them. Um, it's, it's not hard work, and you'll get something. But um, the more effort you put in when you read Scripture to understand what God is actually saying, the more you'll actually get from it, the more it'll actually mean to you. So, so let's, let's try and do a bit of digging, not just raking. Let's do a bit of digging here. And I'm not going to take uh, very long, hopefully, um, but I just want to share a few things with you. First thing I just want you to notice, um, Jude just has one chapter. So do yourself a favor and go and read it at home. Go and read the whole chapter. Notice something about Jude. He loves doing things in threes. Okay? You can see it even here. Okay? He says... When he identifies himself as the writer, he says, Jude, servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. He says three things about himself. And then he says three things about the people he's writing to. He says that they are beloved by God, that they are kept for Jesus Christ, and that they are called. Those are three things. And then he says another three things that he prays over them. He says, may mercy... Peace and love be multiplied to you. So he likes threes. And you'll see, if you read the rest of the letter, it's full of threes, you know. Everything is in threes, you know. Well, it seems like almost everything is in threes. So that's just sort of a, a little stylistic thing that, that um, Jude likes. But <clears throat> who is this Jude? Actually, the, there's an interesting thing. If you read it in the Greek, um, uh, if I had to pronounce his name in Greek, it's... it's uh, Judas, which you would actually translate Judas. But obviously that's why the early church translated it Jude instead of Judas because, I mean, you don't even name your dog Judas. <laughs> After reading, anyone's a Christian and who's read the gospel, not even their dog gets named Judas because Judas is like a bad name. He's the traitor who betrayed Jesus. Um, and no wonder that the, the, the guys who translated the New Testament translated Jude instead of Judas because we just have such a negative connotation to the name Judas. But Judas was a very common name in those days. And <clears throat> so one of the places he's mentioned, um, actually he's translated Jude in, 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 in the English New Testament. Um, it's the word Judas, but it's also sometimes translated Judah. Okay, So in, in for instance, in... Mark 6 verse 3, we read, Is not this the carpenter? Is the people in, in Nazareth speaking about Jesus? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. You know, with, you know, you know the old saying, familiarity breeds contempt. 
Well, that was true of Jesus' people that said, we, we saw him in diapers, you know. We babysat him, you know. And now he wants to come and be all, you know, high and mighty with us. And they were offended with him. But notice here, it mentions two of the names that are mentioned in the first um, verse of, of Jude. Jude, or, or Judas, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Okay? And um, we see that Jesus had two brothers. One named James was the more famous one. And one named Judas or Jude. Okay? So this is probably that Jude. Okay? He's the biological half brother of Jesus. Okay? Um, which, and, and we see this, uh, uh, let me just read uh, Galatians 1 verse 19 for you as well. It said, But I saw none other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So, is, why, why do, when Jude says Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, that James, brother of James, you wouldn't put that in a letter unless this James was famous enough so that you don't have to say anything else about him except it's James. You know, it's the James, the famous James that you think about when you think about James. It's, it's that James. I'm his brother, you know. <laughs> so it must be Jesus' brother James or half-brother James that he's talking about because he was the most famous James um, at that time. Which is very interesting. You know, so, so this, this verse tells us a bit about Jude himself. But it tells us quite a lot about Jesus as well. It says, in fact, as much about Jesus as it does about Jude. Because Jude doesn't say, Jude, the brother of Jesus Christ and of James. He says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and of James. Now, I have three brothers. Not in a million years will any of them call themselves my servant. <laughs> Not a chance. <laughs> the last ones to believe in you if you make big claims are always your own family. Because they see you as you really are. They see you on your bad hair days. They see you... Uh, you know, in your, in your diapers. They, they've seen you at your best and at your worst. So don't come and make fancy claims around your family, you know. You say you want to fly. They say eat your eggs, <laughs> you know, <laughs> eat your breakfast. And um, it was actually, in a sense, the same with Jesus. During his earthly ministry, his family, his biological family, actually didn't believe in him. They thought he was a bit crazy. They were not too impressed with him. But the fact that somewhere after his resurrection, these skeptical brothers who grew up with him, star, who, who, who knew him daily for 30 years, whose older brother, he, uh, the, uh, you know, were, were his younger brothers and sisters, these people who grew up with him started believing that he actually was who he claimed to be, the Christ. And that word Christ there means anointed king, divine anointed king. Now, I want to tell you, you're going to have a hard time convincing anyone in your family that you're divine, unless you really are. <laughs> so the fact that not one, not only James, but Jude and Mary... And in fact, most of Jesus' earthly family ended up believing that he was the divine Messiah, the anointed king, 
divine king, the fact that they actually believed it gives a lot of credibility to it. Because it's hard to convince your family of something like that if it were not true. So this scripture, this verse, simple though it might seem, actually says a lot about Jesus, not only about Jude. But it says more than that. It doesn't just say Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. In in other words, what what Jude is saying here, even though he's the half-brother biologically of Jesus, he says primarily I don't relate to my half-brother Jesus as brother. I primarily relate to him as his servant. He's Jesus, and the word Christ obviously is not Jesus' surname. You know, his parents weren't Joseph and Mary Christ. Okay, they were. <laughs> Christ is, is his title. It's, it's, Christ means anointed king. Okay, so, so he's king. That means King Jesus. He says, Jude, a servant of King Jesus. Okay, but, but, but actually the, the English there sort of obscures it a bit and softens it. The, the word there translated servant is the word doulos. There's a, there's a word um, that means servant in Greek, diakonos. Which, from which we get deacon, diakonos, which means servant. That's not the word used there. The word used there is doulos, which means slave. <laughs> so Jude, who was raised with Jesus, Jesus was his elder brother. He grew up with him in the house. He doesn't just refer to him, to Jesus, as his king, the divine anointed Messiah, but he refers to himself as Jesus' as slave. Now, what kind of a man would Jesus have to be and what kind of a life would he have to live to convince his own brother to become his slave? His own brother relates to him not primarily as brother, but as slave to king. Now, if that were true for someone who was raised with Jesus, how much more true should it be for us? And then he goes on and he talks about... um, God the Father. So what I want you to see here is Jude and his relationship. What he claims to be the important part of his relationship with Jesus is not his biological relation to him. But it's I relate to him as Christ, my king. I am his slave and his father has become my father. And he's modeling the kind of relationship. And and, and he's saying this is who I am because this is who. Whose I am. You starting to see it? And then he says, he addresses his his, um, audience. um, And he says to those, uh, the English says, those who are called beloved by by God the Father, in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. If what is true of Jude is true of them, then these other three things, the fact that they are loved, kept and called, are true of them too. So, um, just a few things there. In, in the order in, in, in the Greek, it's, it's call doesn't come first. It says, to those who are the beloved by the Father, the, um, ke- the, those who are kept by or for Jesus Christ, um, and those who are called. So let's just look at those words. Um, something interesting about the first two, when it says, those who are beloved by the Father, it's a, what is called a perfect participle. Now, now this is, um, just want to explain a little bit of grammar here because it will actually help you. 
a perfect tense in Greek means something that happened in the past and that has continuing effects in the present. Okay? So, so what he's saying is there's something, and, and that's both the, the first word, loved by the Father and, and kept for Jesus Christ, are both perfect participles. Okay? So what he's saying is something happened in the past. You have been loved by the Father, but it still has a continuing present effect now. You are still loved by the Father. In other words, the Father started loving you and is continuing to love you. Think of it this way. When a husband and wife, when, when they get married, when a couple gets married, the husband doesn't only say to the wife, I love you. The husband makes a vow and says to the wife, I will love you. I will continue to love you. For better or for worse, in sickness and in health, Till death do us part. I will continue to love you. It's not only a declaration of love. It's a promise of love. And a a good husband will love his wife. In other words, will start the relationship, the marriage relationship, the covenant relationship, by giving himself fully in love to his wife. It's not like, I'm going to stand back and wait to give you the chance to prove yourself to me. And then when I'm satisfied that you are committed enough to me, then I will commit myself to you. And where do we get that idea of marriage? We get it from God. Because that's the way he loves us. He gives himself in love to us. And he starts loving us at the beginning of the relationship perfectly as he's going to do it throughout the relationship. And that's what, what this says about us. We have not only been loved by, the, by, the, by God, the Father, but we continue to be loved by him. Okay? And then it says kept for Jesus Christ. And, and once again, how, how do you explain something that is in a perfect tense with the word kept? It means that God started keeping you and he's continuing to keep you. What, what does that mean? That, that means that you are secure in him. That means, as Jesus says in, 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 in the Gospel of John, nothing can rip you out of his hand because he's keeping you. In other words, it, it, it means he's, he started keeping you, he's going to continue keeping you. You are not secure because of your hold on him, but you are secure because of his hold on you. Both the beloved, when it says loved by the God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, both are not only in the perfect tense, but they are passive participles. That means that it's not something you do, but it's something that is done to you. It's something that is done to you. You are not kept because of something you do, but you're kept because of something that is done to you. Something that God does to you. You see, if, I, if my being kept depended on me alone, I wouldn't feel very secure. 
I'll be honest with you. I don't have that much confidence in myself. <laughs> don't know about you, but I don't. I'm not that great that I could think, oh, you know, I'm keeping myself in the love of God. I'm keeping myself in the hand of God. You know, hoo I'm safe. If I had to keep myself, I don't actually think I'd be that safe. But I have more confidence in the Lord. If he keeps me, then I am actually safe. I am being kept by him. And then the, the last one, let me just maybe read you a, a, um, a few verses just to, to reinforce that in, in other parts of, of Scripture. It says in First Thessalonians 5, verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, uh, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, it's passive. It's something that is done to you. God keeps us. Um, and then the last one is called. Now, called became sort of a technical term used of the believers in the, in the New Testament. You'll see the word all over the place. You'll, you'll, all over the place, the New Testament writers will refer to the audience, the Christian audience, as those who are the called. I mean, one of the famous scriptures is, uh, for God makes all things work together for the good of those who are the called, who, um, who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. And, and it literally doesn't say those who are called according to his purpose. It says those who are the called according to his purpose. So we are the called. Now, why is it that we as modern Christians hardly ever use that term for ourselves? Is it maybe because we don't understand it? Maybe that's why we don't use it, because we don't really understand what it means. I'm just going to read you a few other scriptures where that term is used. So what does, what does called mean? When he says that we are called by God, does, it, does the word call just mean an invitation? Or is it maybe something more than that? Okay, I want to submit to you that it's something more than that. Listen to this. It says, uh, in Galatians 1, verse 6 and 7, Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel. <laughs> Paul, Paul, Paul um, says... I'm, you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to another gospel. So Paul refers to the gospel as that by which God calls us through his grace to himself. Okay? In um, Galatians 1 verse 15 and 16 it says, but when, you, uh, but when you had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace... That's obviously referring to when Paul was converted. Just like the previous verse was referring to when the Galatians were converted. They were called by the grace of Christ. Um, and called me by his grace. Was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. Can you see what called refers to? In both those cases of the Galatian church and of Paul the Apostle, it refers to their conversion. Okay? Let me read you uh, another one. In Acts 2, verse 38 and 39, it says, uh, And Peter said to them, this is when they said on the day of Pentecost, what, Brothers, what shall we do? 
You know, they were cut to the heart and said, what do we said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he says, for the promise, and, and yeah, it's the promise of the Holy Spirit and the promise of salvation. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far, far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Okay, so, so the promise here, the promise of salvation, the promise of the Holy Spirit is not for some of those whom the Lord calls to himself. Did you see that? It's for all that the Lord calls for himself. So once again, you see calls equals conversion, salvation. Um, in 1 Corinthians... 1 verse 9, it says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And then verse 22 to 24 says, For the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and Christ the wisdom of God. Can you, can you start to see that called here means more than just an invitation? One guy I heard said, said it this way. He said, one preacher said, I can make a call to conversion, but only God can make a converting call. I can make a call to conversion, but only God can make a converting call. And when Paul and the New Testament writers use the word call, that's what they're talking about. In other words, they're talking about not the human call to conversion through the gospel, but within that human call to conversion that comes with the gospel, the divine call of conversion by the grace of Christ. Can you see now what Jude means when he refers to us as loved by God, kept for Jesus Christ? And called. He's saying that is who we are. We are those who, in our heart of hearts, have heard the call. The call that has changed our lives. The call that has transformed us. Um, just want to, and then just the, the, the blessing that he says he says, may, may mercy. Peace and love be multiplied to you. And I just want to just go to the last slide. Um, just want you to see something. Um, like I said, the, um, in, in, the, in the Greek, the order of when he says um, those, who are call, those who are loved, kept, and called, that's the order in the Greek. So there's, there's a, a bit of a, a, what they call a chiasm going on there. We're loved by God the Father. We're kept for Jesus Christ. We're called. And then he says, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Okay? And here he's talking about experience. In the previous phrase, he's talking about what is true about us. We're loved, we're kept, we're called. In this verse, he's talking about how we experience it. Okay? Um, how we're called? By the mercy of Christ. Mercy, uh, what does mercy mean? Mercy means when you don't de- receive what you deserve. Right? When, when, when someone has committed a crime and they fall on their knees before the judge and they're about to be executed, what do they say? Have mercy. <laughs> Have mercy. 
have mercy on me. Don't give me the punishment I deserve. In other words, we're called out of mercy. We're called because we don't receive what we do deserve. Because if we did receive what we deserve, none of us would be called. God calls us despite ourselves. Okay, And here's the thing. The more you understand that you're called, the more you're going to understand how much mercy you've received. And the more you're going to experience your call and be able to rejoice in your call. The same with, with being kept. What does being kept result in? If we are truly kept, not by ourselves, not, not we are keeping ourselves, but we are being kept by Christ, what, what, what would result in that? What would be the effect in us? Peace. You'd have great peace. You'd say, well, it doesn't matter what happens to me. God's keeping me. God is holding me safely in his hand. I am safe. I can relax. Okay? And the more you, you have that peace, the more you, 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 uh, or, or the more you understand that you're kept, the more you're going to experience that peace. Um, and the more you understand God's love for you, and the word used there for love is, is the Greek word agape which is not just normal love. It's unconditional love. It's love with no strings attached. It's love that you don't have to deserve. It's love that never ends. It's love that is perfect, that is unconditional. And the more you you believe it, the more you're going to start experiencing it, that I am loved. And that's why I say, he says, um, not may love, may mercy, peace, and love be given to you, but he says, May, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Because what he's saying is, it's true of you that you are loved, kept, and called. But there's a place where you have to experientially grow in it, in your understanding, in your belief in it, and more and more realize what is already true of you. And it results in more mercy, peace, and love. Being multiplying. In other words, it's, you're growing in it. And, you know, there, there are so many people, so many Christians, it, it's, it's, it's tragic, but it's true, that there are so many Christians of whom, I mean, all, if you're a Christian, it's true of you that you are loved, kept, and called. It's true of you. But how many of us consistently live as though we are loved, kept, and called? In other words, live in mercy, peace, and love. In an ever-increasing measure. You know, it's, it's like Reinhard Bonker says, soap has been around for a thousand years, and yet there are still dirty people in the world. The presence of soap, the reality of soap, doesn't automatically clean you. You've got to experience it. You've got to apply it to your life. Okay, And applying it is different from just knowing about it. You can know... That honey is sweet because I told you so. But there's a different kind of knowing that honey is sweet when you've tasted it for yourself. And what Paul is talking about here, when he talks about mercy, peace, and love, is the kind of knowing from experience. Yes, it's true of me positionally, but the more I believe it, the more I experience it. Now, those are just two little verses from an obscure little book in the New Testament called 
Jude, the letter of Jude. Just two little verses. But can you see how much it says about us? And can, it, can you see how much it shows us that we are actually living so far below what is true of us? How would our community look? How would we relate to one another? How would we live if we truly believed what is true about us? That we have been loved and are being loved. That we are being kept by Christ and for Christ. And that we are called by God. And if we have that, if it's being multiplied to us, if it's present in our lives in increasing measure experientially. For, for us as Christians, if we know who we are and whose we are, we can have all of that every day in increasing measure. And we can grow, as the Bible says in other places, from faith to faith, from strength to strength, from glory to glory, into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That can be ours. That should be ours. And what I want to encourage you to do is just take Scripture and take what Scripture says about you, says about us, and let's go and meditate on it until we believe it and really experience it. Let's not be satisfied with it just be, being true about us, but let's say, I want to experience what is already true about me. I want to live as though it is true of me. I want people when they look at my life, to be able to see he or she really believes that. So I want us to stand and um, I'm going to pray in a moment. And I, I just want you to remember this. Here we have a letter from someone, you know, if, if you wanted to say someone had an unfair advantage at knowing Jesus, then, then Jude is it. He's pretty much it. Jesus was his brother. He lived with Jesus every day. He was raised with Jesus. He was biologically related to Jesus. If anyone had an unfair advantage in terms of knowing these things and growing in these things, it would be Jude. And yet, the very things that you would think he would give him the advantage, he, he doesn't even mention it. He never mentions that he's a brother of Jesus Christ. He never mentions that he was raised with Jesus, that he lived in the same house with Jesus for a couple of decades. He doesn't even mention that. In other words, that is not the main thing that, makes, that made the difference in his life or the main way in which Jesus made the difference in his life. And it shouldn't be the main way in which Jesus makes the difference in our life. So it doesn't matter that you weren't raised with Jesus. And it doesn't matter that you're not his half-brother or half-sister. You have every advantage that Jude had in terms of knowing Jesus and relating to Jesus. Let's make use of it. So close your eyes. Um, you'll know what the Holy Spirit has laid on your heart as the things where you fall short and where you need to grow in. But I have a feeling, even though theoretically we, we know who we are in Christ, if we're born again, I have a feeling that uh, 
most of us don't quite believe it enough. And therefore we don't quite walk in it enough. So just whatever the Holy Spirit has laid on your heart, whatever aspect of this he has lifted out to you in terms of your, your identity, just bring it to him and say, Lord, establish me in it. If you struggle to believe that you are loved, Bring that before the Lord. If you struggle to believe that you are kept and you're constantly struggling with, with anxiety of, am I going to make it? Am I going to be okay? Bring that to the Lord. If you struggle to, to believe that, that you are wanted and that you've actually been called, that he has called you by name and that you are his, then bring that to the Lord. And then say to him, Lord, help me to really believe this, not just theoretically, not just mental assent, agreeing with the truth but believing it so deep in my heart that I can live by it. So just close your eyes in your own words. Um, just bring that to the Lord. Yes, Lord God, we just come and, and bring ourselves to you, Lord God. And Lord, we realize that, that maybe some of us are not living as though these things are true of our lives because maybe they are not true of our lives yet. Maybe we still need to respond to the call. Maybe we still need to make Jesus not just a story that we have heard or a nice man that we know about or a good moral teacher that we respect, but our King, our Messiah, our Savior. But also, Lord, there are some of us who, who really do know you, who really are your children, who really are saved, and yet we, we also not, we're only living, Lord, as though this is, partially true of us lord lord you you know our own insecurities you know our own shortcomings lord god but we remind ourselves today that we are loved with a perfect love by the one who loves better than anyone else we are kept with a perfect power by the one who is stronger than anyone else. And we have been called by the one whose call actually changes our hearts. And we remind ourselves that that is true of us and we want to live like that is true of us every day. Lord, let your love, your peace, your mercy be multiplied in our lives every day. Help us, Lord, to get a revelation. Lord, a, a, not just a, Lord, not just a um, understanding of, of what these things mean, but a revelation that they are true of us in Christ. Holy Spirit, we, we pray that you will come and that you will apply, help Lord, just apply these things to our hearts and help us apply them in our lives and help us live every moment of every day as though it is true of us because it is true of us in Christ. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.jobberg.